Hey everyone, welcome to episode number nine of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and I've got a longtime personality that I only recently connected with, but long time I've been following him, and that's Matty Fusaro. And Matty is, well, I first came upon Matty's YouTube channel, so I found in my travels, I tended more towards listening to podcasts and um, reading a lot of article work. But every once in a while, there's someone who I plugged into their YouTube. And so I used to watch a lot of Lane Norton YouTube videos. I found his stuff really, really helpful. And then, and I enjoyed Maddie's stuff where, you know, it was, you know, you driving to the gym and talking about, you know, your workout that day and a lot of just a picture of real life stuff. So that all, that all, that was fun. And then recently kind of came across your Instagram. I was like, shit, man, like, you know, I've, I've got to ch chat with Maddie and we've been chatting and now all of a sudden you're here online with me. So it's actually great to have you. Welcome. No, Andrew, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on here. Appreciate it, man. Oh, cool. Um, we were just talking off air about some of the guests that I've had on recently and, and how you've been checking it out and, uh, you know, Jordan Syed. And I think for our listeners, you know, I don't want to put people into these little boxes or categories, but you know, if you aren't yet following Maddie's social media, especially Instagram, where I know you've been putting out a lot of consistent stuff, I find that you're in a similar space to people like Jordan Syed, uh, my friend Carter Good, uh, Chad Hargrove, uh, Susan Niebergall. They're all from like Jordan's like world. And then, you know, someone like say a Sohee Lee. So I find you're in that space more so than we're just talking about my friend Sam Spinelli, who I just had on, who's like a a strength coach and PhD in, in physical therapy. And that's, that, that's a little bit different, right? But it's all still evidence-based stuff. So I guess I had a few questions prepared and I suppose I could dive right into it. Um, one of the greatest show, uh, the benefits of the show is to, you know, actually have these opportunities to connect with people because a lot of my previous guests uh, in the solo version of this are very, very good friends might have known for a while. But then I had Matthew Ibrahim on and Matthew and I had only like bounced messages and all of a sudden we message all the time almost daily and we became really good friends so it's actually a really cool vehicle to spend more time getting to know some of the people that I've enjoyed over the years but watching at a distance if that makes sense so I like your relatability that comes through on your social media through your pod uh, through your YouTube sorry and you've often talked about your early struggles with self-image and You've had a, had a lot of fun with it on YouTube, showing it off, uh, your daily life, your, your pure fitness educational work, right? Are you deliberately focused on relatability or is that just kind of a natural byproduct of who you are and how you've gone about it? First of all, thank you for all the kind words about, you know, the follow and the support over the years. I would say it's like you said, it's, I don't, I don't intentionally do it for the relatability factor, but I think that's just how I come across. It's just how I was brought up. I try and be inclusive with whoever I'm involving, whether it be in a conversation or in my content. I want to be able to have, not talking numbers here, but just be able to reach a wide variety of people instead of, in this industry, it's all about like niching down and focusing on this person or this person. I don't like to put people into that box. I like to be able to help people on the evidence-based end of the spectrum and the people who don't even know what evidence means and who know nothing about what a macronutrient is. So over since 2011, when I started the YouTube, it's always just submitted out, how can I deliver this content in a way that I can get people to understand and want to continue following along? And I always encourage the interactions. I always say my DMs are wide open, my emails open, my comment section. Like, I'm just that kind of person for, <laughs> when I was actually studying at university, in between classes or in the classes that didn't really pertain to my major, 
uh, I would actually respond to every single YouTube comment for the first six or seven years. And we're talking, I mean, thousands and thousands of comments, but I wanted to make sure that I was giving back the time that the people were giving to me. So. Um, I guess I had a whole bunch of places I wanted to go with this. Uh, I suppose I can skip ahead a little bit. Relatability is, is tricky. We've got this competing demand for almost appearing superhuman or potentially infallible as that fitness professional. Or I think a lot of people are afraid that they need to be that way. And then there's the needing to be highly relatable. I think fitness professionals are, are waking up to the fact that it makes a lot more sense to be relatable than totally superhuman. But at the same time, we still have to meet a certain standard or else we don't like, you know, in terms of habits or there's obviously that old question like, oh, does a fitness, does a trainer need to be in shape? And that's like, people love to argue about that one. That's low hanging fruit stuff. But I don't, I want to see what your thoughts are there about that competing demand for, you know, appearing super normal and at the same time being relatable. Yeah. So for me, when I, when I think of relatability, I, I think a lot of, a lot of people who might come across the content of someone who has a really big following, they almost think it's impossible to be relatable to that person. They think they're living a completely different lifestyle because again, we talk about how social media is often the highlight reel and we share what we want and we hide what we don't want to share. And oftentimes when we see that, like the whole superhuman thing, it's like this person is always happy, always strong, has lots of money, surrounds themselves with all these successful people. And that's what we see. And that, that doesn't seem relatable at all. And then there's the other side of it where it's, you might come across someone with a smaller following who doesn't lavish lifestyle or show off any feats of strength or take shirtless pictures. And it's like, okay, I can get on board with what this person is saying and I want to follow this person. But I think that again, when we put people in that box, like just because someone has a big following and they're super strong or shredded doesn't make them not relatable. It's just how their content comes across and how you interact with it. For me, I, I definitely, I think there is an aspect of me that wants to, be more transparent so people can relate. And that's why I, I oftentimes share where I was in the past and how I started this whole journey. But I also, I don't wanna try too hard. Like the whole transparency and authenticity, I think that's just going a bit too far. Well, sometimes it goes a bit too far. And it's like, you could be authentic without showing this or showing that. And I think we need to just find the line somewhere. <laughs> uh, I've got some, guys I know in the industry, some of them I like, but they will get really, really explicit. I don't want to go down this road, but explicitly into like detailed, uh, you know, sex life stuff. And I, I think that's one of those realms where it's like, okay, guys, like, I suppose it probably draws in your following. And, that, and that's like you said, niching a bit, but I'm like, nah, <laughs> that is too much detail for me, right? What kind of butt plugs you're using and shit like that. <laughs> And, yeah, and then, I think <laughs> there are people, you, actually, I, I'll shut them straight out. If you want to go check out that kind of stuff, go check out with John Romanello. John Romanello. I, I knew you were going to say that because he's, he's he, not the only one, but you know, but again, John is also a brilliant writer and, you know, he's a past guest on the podcast and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an interesting guy, very intelligent guy, well-spoken. So if you want to know a lot about writing, you also are into like butt plugs, then go follow John. Meanwhile, let's bring this one back on course. Uh, John's an example of something that you reminded me of, and I actually, I'm going to try to write something on this in the near future. As I was coming up as a commercial gym trainer, um, I actually worked for the same gym uh, chain originally as, say, Dean Somerset. So Dean, John Romanello, Tony Gentilcore, uh, you know, Nick Tuminello, 
the T Nation writers, a lot of those guys, right? Because a lot of the people at that time who were big in the industry all worked for, for T Nation. And I remember thinking of it in terms of, well, there's these two tiers of fitness professionals. There's all these, you know, well-known, successful content creators in the article space. Because at this point, there was no Instagram, right? There was no Instagram 10 years ago when I first started the industry. And then there was your everyday gym trainers. And I couldn't connect the dots, the path from the commercial gym trainer floor to achieving the sort of, you know, what we'll call it success or the renowned or the, or the brand recognition that that particular tier of trainers um, did. And so over the years, a lot of kind of crazy things happen. All of a sudden, I've been writing for T-Nation for almost two years. And, you know, I, Dean and I actually um, run a conference together annually here in Edmonton. And, you know, I've gone to a lot of these conferences and met a lot of these people and found them to be very down to earth. So all of a sudden, I've seen that, wait a second, there is a path to that. So with some of my social media, I'm trying to encourage the people who follow me, the people who listen to this podcast to say, you know, I used to think this, but this is no longer the case. So there's no, there's nothing set in stone to say that you cannot become someone that people are reading their articles or a, a more well-known brand in the industry. And I think it's easier now too with social media. So I don't know if you had that same experience or if you've ever encountered people who kind of treat you with a certain reverence where they think that you're up on this pedestal because you're really well known in that YouTube online space. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, actually that, that has happened. And I, I try and tell people don't compare. I, when, whenever I do like, let's say an Instagram Q and A, very often I'll get questions along the lines of, I mean, there's always the questions with how do I become a successful coach or trainer? But a lot of it also has to do with how do I grow my social media following? How do I grow my YouTube? Because they've seen that I've, I've grown a, a decent sized following over the years, but they didn't see the 10,000 comments I responded to while in between classes. They didn't see that I started in 2011 with an iPhone three. Like there were, there were so many steps to get to where I got. And I, I guess people, People, I, we see some people do get that, that lucky break, right? Maybe they get that viral share or that shout out that really blows them up, which seems like overnight. And it is possible that that can happen, but they might have blown up overnight in quotes, but the six years before that, no one was giving them any attention or they didn't get noticed. Mm -hmm. So I do, some people will reach out to me and they'll be like, how do I grow a following like you? Or how do I, how do I build an audience like you? And I'm like, don't, don't try and do things like me. Like I put in many, 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 consistent years of work and I never got that one massive shout out that blew me up overnight it was I mean, now nine years of creating free content uh, day after day to try and just help people and it organically grew you know there was no virality to it and again surrounding yourself with people in the industry who uh, you align with like you mentioned a lot of great names earlier on uh, the PTDC has been around for so many years and I still don't think to this day people even know that that blog exists yeah, it's funny. It's I know that the the weekly you know best content stuff, and I've been I've had my stuff up on there numerous times. But yeah, I, I don't know if necessarily a ton of people know that resource. It's amazing. There. Like if you throw out the words like T Nation, everyone knows what T Nation is. But something like the PTDC, which is incredible. I mean, the, the writers on there, like you said yourself, you've been a writer on there for for years now. You put out great content on there. Um, stuff like that just needs to be seen and. Uh, you've been you just said how many just for numbers sake how many followers you have on instagram right now it's like six thousand four hundred so and, and you've been in the fitness space for how many years well it's funny because 
a decade of doing this, but I mean, I had no presence outside of, you know, my city. Again, I, I'd like to believe I have had a good reputation and a very strong referral base within Edmonton. But I mean, there's not a single person who knew who the hell I was outside of Edmonton that time. And it started with going to a conference where, you know, a lot of big names in the industry were presenting. And, you know, I met people like Pete Dupuy there and God, who was at that one? I mean, <laughs> Brett Contreras was there, you know, some people are, you know, like a little iffy with Brett nowadays, but, uh, you know, still a big name in our industry. And uh, Dean Somerset obviously presented there. Mark Fisher was there and, uh, you know, it goes on. Lou Schuler was the MC of the whole thing. Lou's been really great to me. And then you just start to meet people. And I, I, I said this often in the past on the podcast, anyone who's been a long time listener knows that I, I always advocate for going to, um, you know, in-person events. Now it's Zoom online stuff. You know, I'll shout out uh, Luca Hosevar. He's doing his uh, Fitness and Business Summit virtually very, very soon. And he's got an amazing lineup. And so if you really want to just soak up the education stuff, it's going to be incredible. But I really love and I miss the in-person stuff um, because there's a lot of value to getting to know and meeting people in the industry. There's always a few traders. I got a couple of friends. I won't name them. I love them to death, but they will poo-poo and shit on any notion about, you know, caring about being friends with any other coaches. They always use the term, you know, that the fitness fit pro circle jerk. And I mean, cool. If you really want to put your head down and, and go it with your own focus and have a very narrow, you know, collection of professional uh, associates, great, great, fine. If you're doing well, awesome. But I personally really enjoyed, you know, making friends across the industry, you know, my pals, you know, Chad Landers down in, you know, LA and, and Robert Lincoln, those guys are down in California right now fighting to get their gyms back open again, or, you know, all these other people scattered all across North America and, you know, kind of beyond. Uh, I like interacting with them. It's great to be able to grab someone each week, pull them on the podcast and, and chat with them and share that whole conversation, all the philosophy and attitudes and ideas that are coming out of it with everyone who's following. So I've gotten a lot of benefit from it. And I, I know that going to that first conference and then subsequent ones is how a lot of positive things happen in my career. If you care about things like writing, I still think everybody should have a website and start writing long form articles. Like if you want to grow a brand, a greater one, then that is the root of it all, I think. Either that or you have to do YouTube very, very well, which I want to come back to because that's how you got your start, right? Mm -hmm. As like Omar Isaf, who I know is more of a YouTuber. He's a big personality in that space. And some people do it well, do both well. Jordan Side, great example, you know, has written articles for years and years and years. And he's also done the YouTube stuff really well. So I'll get my train of thought back on. I still think that Networking and developing those relationships opens a lot of doors. Knowing Lou and my friend Mike Howard and a few others and, and John Goodman uh, through the PTDC is what's gotten, because I'll clarify something you said earlier. I've never technically been a writer for PTDC, but I have, actually, I was in like featured in like one part of one article, but I've had a lot of my stuff shared on their weekly share of the, the, the best stuff in the industry. So they've done a lot for my career and that exposure doesn't happen if I don't have those relationships and they're not on my social media, my Facebook friends to see, you know, the first articles I was writing or know about the podcast and all of a sudden that stuff starts blowing up. So I still think that having a network of like-minded fitness professionals, I mean, if you're writing all your social media to them, you're actually missing a really key point that your, your media, like your messages are really geared towards the end user. And that's super important. You know, we keep saying that stuff, but if like-minded people are sharing your message, you're gaining new traction with new people, you're gaining followers, then everybody mutually benefits and it grows. If you are just 
trying to go it entirely alone. And meanwhile, you're trying to grow. I mean, if you have a local brick and mortar gym, you got to do a lot of different stuff. Well, that probably is fine. But if you actually want to get into the online space and online training is this big growing thing, right? That's a space I think you've been in for a really long time. Then if no one can find who you are outside of, you know, a 10 kilometer radius. Well, that's not necessarily the most efficient way to grow your online business. And there's a lot of trainers who you know, really had their in-person businesses disrupted. Most recently, I was kind of lucky with the way that mine worked out. But there's a lot of people struggling right now. And online is a really important and viable thing, I think, at the very least as a complement to your in-person business. And I know a lot of people are, are just exclusively there. I'll, I'll leave it yeah. to your thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I love what you said about there are people who want to stay within the the people who want to be in that fit pro bubble and just associate with those who they, they feel like are maybe similar in age or similar in even like things like style, you know, like things like that. But going back to being able to develop those business or even just friendly relationships with other people who have been in the industry much longer than you or myself, I think that's super important because like we can use John Goodman as an example, right? So he has one of the, if not the biggest fitness blog out there, the PTDC. Mm -hmm. If you look at his personal Instagram, he doesn't have a massive following. A lot of people might not know who he is. We talked about that on his episode recently. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have to actually go back and listen to that, but I've been, man, I've been following John for a long time. He's been nothing but an amazing, just friend to me. Even early on, I, I would ask him a couple of questions and he would say, what's your number? What's up on the phone? And we got to speak on the phone a couple of times and I, you know, he hooked me up with OTA one and then I went on and did OTA two. So I don't think a lot of people even realize that he has Facebook groups of almost 40,000 people. So when you're doing the right thing in the industry, it doesn't matter how many likes you get on Instagram. If he thinks your content is valuable and shares it to 40,000 people who are looking to become coaches and trainers, those are the people who are going to be like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. And that's when people just share your stuff because naturally you were trying to help. So it is, I think it's, it's really cool to be able to network with those types of people in the industry. And knowing who they are, because often what I'll do is I'll get a, a, a client. Uh, I'm comfortable sharing other fitness professionals work with my clients uh, or, or followers if they're looking for information. It's like, okay, if you're looking for fitness marketing stuff, you follow John Goodby, you dive into stuff. He's probably the best fitness marketer, marketer in our industry. Right? So you, you need to be absorbing that stuff if you care about being a better marketer. Um, you know, he had, look, look who, who he has working with him now. You know, he has uh, Joe Dowdell as part of his OTA stuff. He has Jason Maxwell. He has Lou Schuler as, you know, running a lot of stuff at his editor. Right? These are not, these are not no names in our world. They're very, very good at what they do. So he's building a really qualified team around him. So yeah, I, I, I absolutely believe in what he's doing. So I, I think anyone who's trying to be a more successful fitness professional should be plugged into this stuff, right? And you mentioned the OTA. Unfortunately, at the time of everybody re listening to this, it, the offer will be over, but I have an offer up on my Instagram right now where uh, it's an affiliate thing where, yeah, John has me and a whole bunch of other people promoting a $0 down 30-day free trial of his OTA. Who knows, maybe it'll come back up again in not too distant future because he's done it before. So keep your eyes out if you're actually interested in it. But sorry, if you're hearing this, the offer, I think is probably over by, the, by that time. So oops. Um, and then you know, I'm comfortable if someone wants to, um, a very good old friend of mine who trained me for a while, I put him onto both Carter Good and Jordan Syatt. And so uh, my friend Dan, 
he, he lost about 50 pounds trading with me. And then he really got plugged in what they were doing. And then he did some online, he was part of Jordan's inner circle for a while. I know he coached with Carter Good for a while and all this stuff helped him along his journey. And I'm really happy for him. Like I didn't care like, hey, you know, you're not as active training with me anymore because now you're with these other people. Or if I want to share, you know, something about like someone who's got shoulder mobility issues, right? Okay, cool. We got Tony Jalicor and then of course, Air Cressy stuff is out there, right? So those guys are really brilliant when that comes with, with that kind of stuff. So it's, it's helpful. I, I can't go out and write an article or make a video about every nutrition concept that's out there. Um, you probably actually have in all your library. I was going <laughs> to ask you after about where the fuck you come up with the, all these ideas to be doing this shit for so many years. But I just simply don't have the time to whip up an article or a, a video on every sim, single topic. So if I've got all these resources because I know who all these people are and I trust them because I know their integrity, I'm comfortable sending anyone to go, here, go follow Matthew Ibrahim. Oh, you want to learn more about this? Go follow my buddy Gareth Sapstad, the fitness maverick, and, and so on and so forth, right? Go go check out Lee Boyce's work. Lee is my next guest up and a good friend of mine from the industry. And yeah, if you're a tall dude who wants to get strong and, and train, fuck it. Like that's Lee. So that's the stuff he puts out there, right? So I love that. I, I want to actually touch on the point where you said you had worked with someone, lost 50 pounds, which is incredible. And then they maybe went on and, and started to learn from someone else or join another group or coach. And I think what ends up happening is sometimes when we're working with someone for X amount of time or following a specific person for X amount of time, we might resonate with someone a little bit better after that. They might have a different spin on how they present something. They might have the missing link that maybe you weren't able to figure out for whatever reason. Maybe there was a disconnect in the communication or maybe it was nothing like that. And they just wanted to get a different point of view from a different individual. I mean, I'm, because I've been on YouTube for so many years, but I've also been coaching for a long time. I oftentimes get paired with the other YouTube coaches and people look at me as a YouTube coach, which I'm not that I don't want to be under the same umbrella as a lot of these other people. Unfortunately, I'm put there because that's how people know me, but I get clients from people who worked with YouTube coaches and I hear about negative experiences. And that's why I don't want to be put there because we see the, again, air quotes, grinding and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, all right, this person, this YouTube person has 300,000 followers. They have all this money. They're, they're, they're flaunting this and they're flaunting that. Where are they finding time to work with a hundred clients? How are they always accepting clients every single week? It seems a little bit sketchy and I never want to be looked at as that person because I have, you know, somewhat sizable YouTube channel. So. Yes. And I actually agree with you. And that's why I said, like, made note about like, not putting you in that box. You're right. I think I can't list a lot of people. It's a short list who are primarily or almost exclusively YouTubers who are widely respected in the fitness realm. Omar Isaf, I think, is one of the good ones. And you get it. I don't want to like shit talk anybody, but you know, I used to follow Elliot Hulse, and I think Elliot's kind of safe to kind of go, okay, you know, knows some strange stuff. Uh, and then he got really weird into a lot of really strange shit. And then it was really fun to watch Elgin Tensity troll the hell out of him. Uh, I like, that's a good YouTube. You're going to watch it. Go watch that stuff. Or what he screws with. What's it? Mike Chang. Is he still making those like I those videos? I, I, I breathe into your balls. Like if anyone knows what I'm talking about, DM me seriously. If you get that reference, I love it when people will message me from some specific reference. I just can't get behind, you know, some of that stuff. So I actually empathize with the challenge of not being labeled or put in that box. You get guys like, I think Jeff Cavalier, athlete X, you know, 
He's sort of like polarizing a little bit too. Some people really like him, respect him. I know it. he got busted with using fake weights recently, which he, that to me is just dumb fuckery. Like, why are you doing stupid shit like that? Seriously, for fuck's sake. I mean, you're highly educated. You're shredded as hell. You seem to actually know what you're talking about most of the time. Not a big reason all the time. But like, why do that? So yeah, it, it's hard to focus in on people who are exclusively YouTubers. So what do you do to make sure that you don't get stuck in that box? And I, I'm going to add another question into it too. What are your thoughts on, you know, anyone who's listening to this, who's trying to get their name out there? What are your thoughts on them starting YouTube and ways to do it well? Okay. So first, let me actually just put this out there for anyone listening to this who now found out that I have a YouTube channel. I haven't been very active on there. So I actually haven't made a new YouTube video since lockdown started. Before that, I had taken maybe even a little over a year off as far as consistently posting. And that was because I, again, I have over 900 videos and it just came to a point where I was like, I don't want to just put out content for the hell of it. And it takes, takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort with the editing and the uploading and keeping on top of the comments. And I found myself in a space where I wanted to back off that a little bit because as much as I love creating the YouTube content and the videos give people something to watch and something to learn from, there isn't really the personal connection that you get through maybe Facebook or Instagram. I like when I post something and someone DMs me and asks me a question, I'll happily even hop on the phone with a random person if they actually have a question for me, or I'll send them a voice note because I like that. I like to know the person behind the comment uh, on YouTube. You don't really get that. People have fake, you know, fake names, avatars, and they write just shitty comments just for the hell of it. So there's a lot of trolling that goes on on YouTube behind uh, faceless people. Um, and I just needed a break from it all for a while. So if you look me up on YouTube, you probably won't see anything new. Uh, once lockdown started, I felt as a fitness professional, it was my job to provide some, some sort of content for people who had to train at home, which was just about everybody. So that's when I actually just made a video with my wife. It, it, was, it was simple. It was like 40 or 50 exercises you could do at home. Uh, but I included, you know, an Excel spreadsheet with, with three, four and five daily templates with drop down menus for exercises you can sub in and out. Um, but yeah, since then I, I took a little break from YouTube. So to answer your question about for someone who's new to YouTube and really wants to get into it, uh, just don't look at the numbers for a while. It is one of the hardest platforms. Uh, one, one of the reasons it's the hardest is because <laughs> the, the attention span of individuals nowadays is very small. And you got to think if someone is, Let's say someone subscribes to a YouTube channel, a new YouTube channel. You have to assume they're probably subscribed to at least 20, 30, 40 other people whose videos are probably going to come before yours since you're the new person. So how much time does this person have in a day to watch even more than one 15 or 20 minute video? They're going to prioritize probably the people that they've been following for a while, the people with the bigger followings. And so it, it, it's really hard to actually break into that space and capture someone's capture and keep their attention. You know, the whole algorithm thing with YouTube is first get people onto your content, the, the, the title and the thumbnail. Those are the only two things that you can use to capture someone. You know, you can have the best content in the world, but if they don't click, they'll never see it. So you have to find that fine line between, am I clickbaiting the person to get them to see the content? And then am I actually capturing their attention in a very honest way? And then the content will follow with the title and thumbnail shows. So now that you actually got them to click, a lot of YouTube's algorithm has to do with the first 60 seconds. 
how many people are going to last through those first 60 seconds because they look at watch time. So if you have a 15 minute video, if they can get through 60 seconds, YouTube likes that. So they'll start maybe pumping your content out to other people. But how long was the retention after that? If it's a 15 minute video and they dropped off after two minutes, YouTube doesn't want to go out and share that video with other people. So there's a lot of, you have to be, even if you're just trying to be strictly educational and informative, you do have to include some level of entertainment. And that could just be by cracking jokes or maybe you have the greatest camera set up and you're using different angles and B-roll and stuff just to keep people interested. But even if you have all of that, a lot of times we like to consume content in like transitional moments. Like maybe we're showering quick or we're cooking or we're driving in the car. We can't physically watch the video. And that's why podcasting is so incredible and why I kick myself in the ass every day because I don't have a podcast yet. Start one. I know. I'm hijack you for a second, but this might be worthwhile to even go into. I mean, yeah, everybody has this. Oh, everybody's got a podcast. Not everybody has a fucking podcast. Two, anyone who has a following, there are going to be lots of people who are not podcast listeners. There are going to be other people who really enjoy podcasts. Both are a goldmine of people who might start listening to it. And it boils down, and this I'm sure is true of YouTube. If it's a good experience, if it's quality, it's just like social media. I mean, people will plug in quality. You can blame the algorithm all you want. You have to know how it works. But quality will win the day in the grand scheme of things, whether it's article, whether it's YouTube, whether it's podcast, whether it's social media. Now, I'll let you get back on track, but or take that further. It's your thoughts. No, I, I love that. And I... I can't, I really can't even say how many people have told me to just start a podcast and start a podcast. <laughs> all right. To do list coming out. <laughs> I've already, I've, I've written down topics. I've come up with names for ideas. And I think I have this, and I, I, I need to just get this out of my head because it's the fucking perfectionist whole, like, um, overthinking type shit. Because again, I've created so much shit over the years. And now I'm like, what, what do I have to say? Or what do I want to say? Do I want it to even be the whole, um, this macro macros work, this cell body composition works, or do I want to just dive into like life topics and just have normal conversations with people? And I know I can do both, but again, I think about it and I'm like, okay, what should my first episode be? I overthink it just like everyone else overthinks shit. So for anyone listening who might see, I have 170,000 YouTube subscribers. I still overthink shit just like everyone else. And I still hesitate to create content sometimes. So I want to come back to that hesitated to create content too, but let's take the podcast up a little further. Um, one of the, like, for, for anyone who's kind of curious about insight as to how I do this thing, I mean, one of the first things, like it was Guido's idea way back, like th- over three years ago. And he knew I knew people in the industry and, you know, bigger, louder personality. So he knew I'd be a good co-host. And he's like, hey, you want to do a podcast? I'm like, yeah, sure, fuck it. Why not? Let's do it. And we didn't know what the fuck we were going to be doing with it. Start humble, uh, you know, ideas. And then I, I sometimes will mention on Sohi's episodes that her first episode went over a lifetime, eventually went over 10,000 downloads. Now that is not a average and that is not normal, but you know, that's a big hunk of downloads, right? And so now the, the podcast space is a, is a lot more stuff out there. So you're kind of competing for eyes and ears more so, but it will grow. It can grow and grow. And if you engage people and people like it, and they're sharing it, what have you, then yeah, new people will follow you or find you. And then getting guests on actually, I mean, I plan questions. I actually put some effort into it. I want to make sure it's, it's done well. I don't edit these heavily. I had to ch- take a piece of uh, Sam Spinelli's one out because we actually lost connection with him for a little bit. So I just like, all right, instead of all this like dead air and, and fuzzy stuff, whatever, I chop that out. Otherwise, 
there's like no editing that goes into this at all. Like I actually just like the free roll of it and people enjoy that. And I even lost my train of thought last episode with him. And if you're listening and you heard that, you can message me too. I brought it back and remember what the hell I was talking about, but everybody seemed to love the episode. So it wasn't perfect. And you know, momentarily after I was like, ah, shit, I screwed that up a little bit. After the fact, I'm like, hell no, that was actually really good. So don't worry about trying to be perfect. And here's a couple pieces of logistics. One, I run it through Anchor. Get an Anchor account, really easy to upload it. You've got to connect to and get approval to iTunes and Spotify and all these other sort of things. You know, I'm not an expert in that. Guido set it all up. So I mean, someone in your world is going to know the technical side if you need help. Okay. And then we do this over Zoom. So you get video. Anyone listening, you know, Maddie and I are chatting face to face. It actually helps with interaction. If you can see the person, it's better for connection. And so that we are not climbing over each other, interrupting. And then you can record within Zoom. It creates a video file, an audio file for you. You bring, and I'm useless with tech and I find this stuff easy. You just drag into Anchor, you click and you upload your audio file and you're gonna even edit a chunk out within Anchor if you have to, like I had to with Sam's. And then you upload it, you set the date. Uh, I got a friend to, to help me with a graphic, my friend Carol McDonald, love you to death, thanks for all your help. Uh, and she found a graphic, she got the rights to it that worked out really well and she gave me a template to put each individual episode, a picture of each guest, and I post this stuff up on social media. Again, like unless you're really fucking boring to listen to, <laughs> then, yeah. <laughs> uh, and someone like yourself, you know, you're you're established. I'm not even worried. You know, get some of your well-known industry pals, blow it all up over, and see how much your social media followings really engage if they're interested. And again, maybe they haven't listened to any podcasts, or maybe they listen to one like me. I listen to pockets of ones here and there. I love my friend Pete Dupuis, niched, which you know is. He doesn't release them very often. He only has a few, so he's easy to catch up with. And then I listen to Jordan Syatt and Mike Vacanti's How to Become a Personal Trainer. And I love Luca Josefar's uh, Bigger Life. And I've got a whole bunch of friends who do great stuff. Jason Leonard's has got a great podcast. My buddy Chris Little's got a great podcast. On and on and on. But those are the ones that I tend to very religiously get into. And in the case of Luca, Luca has a lot of guests on that I really enjoy. A lot of people I've talked to myself. A lot of people that i like, hey, that person would be great to talk to. So... Anyone who's interested in podcasts will probably listen to three or four on a fairly regular basis. So it becomes you earning that space. And if you are, I guess this is not so much you, Maddie, because but I know you already know this, but listeners, whenever you're struggling to create and write and share content, think about the people who are following you that you are their go-to person. They probably don't follow me. They don't follow Maddie. They don't follow Jordan. They don't follow Sohi or fuck, maybe even they do, but they're really plugged into you and they like what you're doing. And if you feel fearful of putting yourself out there, you're failing to share with people who really want to hear more from you and love your stuff while you're afraid of trolls or critics or the people who aren't your friends. Those followers, people who actually like don't want to see you win, why on earth would you ever cater to their desires? Why would you ever stifle your own efforts to, to grow and be successful? Because you're afraid of what someone who doesn't even like you whose opinion doesn't matter is going to say, honestly, like I, that's fuel for me. I love that shit. If somebody has a genuine issue with me doing well, great. You are going to be very disappointed. I'm very sorry. It's, it's going to suck for you watching all the stuff that I've already done the last few years and all the stuff that's coming up. So don't let something like that stop you. So I, I think too many people get inside their own heads. And like you said, you know, worry about perfectionism. Honestly, if you're, if you're a longtime listener, do these episodes all sound super perfect every time? Fuck no. Um, every once in a while, you know, the audio quality gets a little choppy, but 
you're still here, why? I actually want you to message me why and tell me why the hell you actually keep listening all the time. I get a lot of messages and people just love these conversations. So anyone who would be interested in doing a podcast, don't do it because you think you need to do it. That's stupid. But if you really believe, hey, I would love to do that and talk to the kind of people, the guests that I want to talk to, then get started. You're going to suck right away. <laughs> and then practice. And by the time you know a few people have accumulated and started listening to it, you've gotten a lot better. It's like, I'm sure your earliest videos, Jordan side says this all the time, are probably not anywhere near as good as much later on. But you got those reps and practice in. And then by the time that a larger audience had found you, you're real fucking good at it. Yeah, for anyone listening, please don't go back and watch my videos from the early days. It, it's funny, I, I can laugh at it now. I mean, when I, listen, when I first started, I was actually filming training videos in fucking Planet Fitness. I didn't care though. I really didn't. So for anyone listening, it's like, when I first started out, I was just like everyone else. I was on a budget, right? I was younger. I lived at home. And that was the gym that was close to my house that I can afford at the time. And sure enough, I was able to build the beginning and the foundation of my YouTube channel off of the fact that I went there. And it wasn't until a little bit later on when I switched gyms that people used to make fun of it and troll on it. And like, I can, I can laugh about it now. But even some of the shit that I did, I mean, people will ask me now, like, hey, should I get the, the Sony a7 III? Or the, I'm like, have you ever fucking used a camera? You want a $3,000 camera, but you've never even created a piece of content before? I'm like, you, you, you really need to start somewhere. I started, God, this is embarrassing. Some of the videos I was making because I was living home, I needed to be in a quiet space. And I like to do recipe videos because they were popular. And there was one, fuck. There was one of them where I made like a buffalo chicken dip kind of thing. And what I would do is I, I would cook the chicken and everything. And then I would actually kind of make like, like a chicken salad out of it by putting it in a food processor so you could put it on a sandwich. And I did that shit on a little folding table in my bedroom. I have a ninja food processor and I'm pressing the thing and it's grinding. And I'm just like, just me sitting there in my bedroom behind a little table. And it's like, I can laugh at it now, but if I never made those videos, there would be no momentum to keep keep bettering myself to keep wanting to put out more content. The feedback was great on them. Were they good videos? No. Was the content good? Yeah. But people stuck around for it because they were there for the content, not for the fact that I was in my fucking room. <laughs> and how relatable is that for college students or people who are similar to where you are anyway? Like they're like, yeah, literally I'm in my dorm. And <laughs> yep. you do with that. It's fucking hella relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but listen, I, I get caught in the trap too, because I've been doing it for so long. So first of all, your tips on the whole podcast thing. I appreciate that a lot. Um, even just to just forget about the perfection, like you're not putting out content for the people who don't like you. Don't let them stop you from doing it. When it comes to the tech side of things, that's the side I like. I love that shit. I have, I have probably good enough equipment to create a podcast. The one thing and again, this is me just trying to be a perfectionist. This is in my office that I'm in right now. It's very, very echoey. And I would just need to kind of fix that up a little bit because I don't like listening to podcasts with, listen, the audio doesn't have to be Joe Rogan, but it needs to be something that I, I don't mind listening to. So I want to make sure that that sounds good and everything. But yeah, as far as the tech side of it, I got to have a lot of friends in the space that actually run production businesses for podcasts. So uh, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with my buddy, uh, Chase Tuning. He runs the Ever Forward Radio. Not. Okay, so he runs, he runs Ever Forward Radio. He was actually in the health and wellness space. Um, he was, you know, long story, he was, he was in the military and everything, but he wanted to do his own thing. So he left his nine to five corporate job and he started doing YouTube here and there, but he fell in love 
with podcasting so much that he started a side business called Operation Podcast, where he actually helps other people start their podcast from what equipment do you need to how to upload it, to how to share it, to how to market it. And his business actually blew up from it. He has five or six like massive sponsors for his podcast. So just goes to show you, like you said earlier, it's just, just start, just literally fucking start. There's no other way to do it. I'm sure you've heard of the whole ready, fire, aim kind of thing. Like, and, and I actually, uh, one of my favorite things to do is, is write. And I'm guilty for not creating more written content, especially on my website. Everything was video, video, video. I should have been writing first, using that written material to make the videos. And now I can redistribute that written content. That's another thing with YouTube. Uh, YouTube is great in terms of the fact that it's owned by Google. So when you do well on YouTube, you could do well on the Google search rankings, but people forget that written content is, is just never going to die. Everyone is so concerned with the Instagram and the YouTube, but when you write especially long form content on your website, whether it's articles or blogs, every single word that you is a much better chance of getting seen by creating that long form type content. And then you can repurpose that into smaller Instagram captions or short IGTV videos and things like that. So that's something that I want to get back to, but I also, I really want to get, get into this YouTube game. And I know it's just a matter of there is, there is no perfect. Like I create these roadblocks for myself and I just need to uh, stop making shit more difficult than it really is and just dive into it. Something that I still need to do, I, I've been procrastinating on this because I'm involved in so many projects, is to take these Zoom videos and actually put them onto YouTube. Because I've had negligible YouTube presence in any way, shape, or form. So this is obviously something that you can then use as a piece of your YouTube too to actually have something that you're regularly uploading. You already have a built-in audience. So I'm, I'm actually trying to convince Maddie here to do a, uh, a podcast. Because you can upload... A podcast and you could say right because mine are usually an hour to 70 minutes long right and, and that's long form but if you got an engaged audience they're good maybe you could make yours 20 or 30 minutes if you felt that would be more suitable for the, the video format or you could go the hour-long conversation with your guests or, or what have you or a mixture something that some podcasts do really well i don't know if anyone has listened to andy Frisella's the the mf ceo project the motherfucking ceo project i, I know he's rebranded it now it's something different and I, and I, I like Andy's stuff. I like his attitude of like personal accountability. Some of his political ideological stuff might not resonate with everybody. I mean, whatever, but I, I like his business ideas and his no nonsense. And he would have what Thursday thunder and I don't know, Friday fire and whatever. And one was like an eight to 10 minute, you know, just him talking, whatever idea he had in his mind that day. And then he might have a guest here and there that that's an hour long conversation with him and Vaughn, his pastor buddy, who's his co-host. It, it's funny shit. It, it really is quite good. So he's actually doing different styles of it. But uh, I think that could actually play really well as a video vehicle on top of an audio vehicle. And honestly, maybe a lot of those people who are on your YouTube channel. So for anybody who's listening, actually has a YouTube presence, who's like, hey, I want to do a podcast. Well, the idea of doing YouTube and podcasting well is a lot more effort, but the podcast actually can be used as content on your video channel. So you know, that yeah, for sure. If, if you're already on the Zoom and it's recording, why not just take that extra step? It's you, Like you said, the beauty of the podcast is the imperfection of it. 
fuck editing every little mistake or if there's a little bit of dead time or silence, like that's the beauty of it. Because again, going back to what we first spoke about the relatability, if you edit out every single mistake or every bit of static, it's just like, okay, it just seems overly produced. And it's like, okay, what was going on? What did they cut out? So that's, that's the beauty of it. You could just take the file and upload it to YouTube. Now, the chances of someone watching it versus listening to it are probably a little bit lower, but again, it's no real extra work. It's just the fact that they can't watch it while they may be driving in the car or something like YouTube. I'm not even sure. I don't believe you could do it with the iPhone unless you pay for a YouTube premium, but being able to, um, uh, I guess like multitask, like let the, let the video keep playing when you exit out of the YouTube window. I don't know if you can do that. So that's the beauty of the audio side of it. Yes, unless you upgrade and Lord knows YouTube will remind you every single fucking time. <laughs> you get a thousandth time you open it up. Hey, do you want YouTube premium? So it's there if you want it, but yeah. Yeah. So, so th that's a little shit that I think about as far as watching a YouTube, uh, a podcast video versus the audio is this shit simply if you're watching it, on your phone or listening to it on your phone and you, you want to watch it through the YouTube player. You got to think about things like it might kill your battery, you know, uh, just like stupid shit like that. But again, if you have both platforms, just take the extra couple minutes and you might as well just upload it. It's the views aren't going to hurt. And there are people who just don't like podcasts and they'd rather see people talk. So. Yeah. Uh, shit. There was another thought I had in all that too. Oh shit. Like Rogan, right? I mean, Rogan has a video podcast. Now, I mean, a he's Rogan. It probably is the biggest podcast in the world. I, I suspect it probably is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, don't compare necessarily to that, but you know, that video format that he does, does rather well. I still see that image of like Elon Musk, like smoking weed, <laughs> on, right? Like you don't, you don't quite get that audio, but again, Rogan's a big brand, but he, this is sort of a side thought, but I remember Rogan as one of the characters on news radio. I believe that was the name of the show. It had that Canadian uh, comedian, Dave Foley. He was one of the kids in the hall. If you get the kids in the hall reference, message me. I want to hear that. Cause they're like, Fuck, I don't know. It's a comedy troupe. They're, they, they haven't been around in a while. And so that, that's, that show is probably from the 90s. Now, Rogan got himself, what, big into MMA, and then he got into podcasting, and now he's actually probably one of the most... Someone keeps calling him like the Oprah for, like, guys. Right? So Rogan is actually quite influential. So, again, he's top of that pyramid of, of podcasters, but it's not to say you can't take lessons from what he's doing. And so I think the video format is actually pretty viable, uh, especially if you have, already haven't built-in audience and i'm half speaking to every listener and i'm half kind of nudging maddie to go do it <laughs> yeah. no, no, i i definitely agree with that there is something about seeing people interact because you know when you're it's the same thing when you when you're talking about written communication so let's say we're dming or we're texting one another we're sending emails it's all of that uh non-verbal stuff that can get mis misunderstood right so like i could send a text to you and you might read it completely different than I meant for you to read it. Does that make sense? Like it might come off differently just because maybe I forgot an exclamation point. So I was really excited, but you took it as, okay, he doesn't really give a shit kind of thing. The beauty of the video side of it is you get to see maybe someone smiling when you, then they sound serious, but you don't see that. So there is a lot of value to having the video in there. You mentioned it earlier, uh, John Goodman, like, you know, sending messages, right? And John is smart with this. Uh, just on my Facebook, what? couple days ago, one of my pals was asking questions about the online trainer um, free offer that I mentioned earlier. And so John turned around and made a short, maybe it was like a minute long video and spoke directly to him. How goddamn powerful is that? Like, who are you guys listening here? When have you actually 
popped up and sent a voice message to one of your online clients instead of, that's something that my buddy PJ Street got me onto. I had an episode with him a while back. PJ, like his whole tagline is making online training more personal than personal. He's a smart dude. You learn a lot from how he does online training. So yeah, like fucking send voice messages. I mean, I'm driving. Do you want to go texting while you're driving? Hell no. I use my drive time to listen to audiobooks and podcasts like you're talking about. But honestly, it's a good way to, you know what I mean? Phone calls, cool. Easy way to sneak those in. But you can just send voice messages, right? You can do that, like pop up Siri or whatever, or, you know, if you're um, an Apple user and pop up voice messages. That's hearing your voice from, um, to a client is probably a bigger deal than just always getting texts. Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, as a coach, it's, it's important that you have your forms of communication down and you make that clear in the beginning. But I think you could surprise someone when you tell them that our main form of communication will be email for organizational purposes, right? Like I don't want someone emailing me, WhatsApping me, DMing me, texting me. And it's like, I know we spoke about this. Where was that conversation? So it is important to have your systems in place. But when you hit them with uh, one of the things that I do occasionally, if I really want to dive deep into something is if I find a client is struggling with fat loss, let's say, and we're trying to pinpoint it and they say they're hitting their macros. Uh, what I'll do sometimes is I'll actually do a screen recording at my computer. I'll open up their MyFitnessPal log and I will go through every day and every meal and I will point out to them, you know, this food right here, you know, it's a processed food. It's very high in sodium. Maybe that's why your weight spiked up. Um, this food here, you track it as this, but the entry in MyFitnessPal is actually incorrect. So we want to make sure that we're double checking and verifying the stuff that we log in. And there's a little, you know, video of me in the corner and then their whole screen is there and I'm going through all their data and that will blow them away. The fact that you are talking directly to them, you're actually taking that extra step to look through their, their stuff. And um, yeah, and the, the answering people like in a Facebook comment to just shoot a quick video. I think that just shows that. And it's, I don't even want to say above and beyond because it's not like you're literally just taking it's actually easier than sitting there and typing out a long response, but it's, it's far more appreciated. And just real quick, I wanted, this was like, I was blown away by this. And it goes to show for people who are, right, let's take people who follow you. Um, they obviously look up to you. They love your content. If you hit somebody with a video message, they'd be like, holy shit, Andrew just sent me a video. Like, that's awesome. Uh, for, yeah, I don't do it enough. It's, it, and now it's like making me like want to just do it more, which I'm going to make a, a point out of that. But one day, so I've been talking to Mike Vacanti for, for years now. He, he lives in New York. I live in New York. So we just have that relatability there. Uh, we've never actually met in person, but we've had multiple conversations on the phone. And one day I, I texted him and I said, hey, man, do me a favor, because he was training Gary at the time. I said, can you, can you ask Gary just straight up? This was when I was in like a YouTube dark hole. I was just, I don't know what happened. Like somewhere my channel took a turn and it really started to beat me up because when someone looks at my YouTube and they see got 175,000 subscribers, almost 40 million video views. If I was to upload a video today, I'd be lucky to get two or 3,000 views. Immediately, people are like, this kid's fake. He bought all his followers. He did this, he did that. And I just have a very inactive subscriber base now because I've taken such a long layoff. But during the time where I started to notice like kind of growth declining and audience uh, views going down, I asked Mike to just ask Gary for me, um, how do you deal with like that negativity? How do you deal with shit like that? And sure enough, it wasn't an hour later, Gary sent me a text message of a video of him sitting in a car and going like, first thing he said was Maddie. And I just like, I got the chills. I was like, holy shit, he's talking to me now. 
And he could have easily just told Mike, like, tell him not to worry about it. Tell him, like, fuck the haters. But he sent me a minute-long video of him sitting there just like, Maddie, it's like, it's a binary game. There's a lot of loser dickheads out there. Like, you can't let these people uh, determine whether you win or not. And I was just, like, shooken up. I was like, this is someone I've looked up to before he was popular. Like, I'm talking, I was watching Gary's shitty little videos, like, Wine library stuff. Yes, like so many years ago. And to hear him speak directly to me was just, it was mind blowing. And now I got to think if someone who doesn't even care to have a follow on social media, a random stranger reaches out to me and I hit them with a video, they'll be like, holy shit, that was so cool. I can't believe he responded like that. And here we are, you're telling that story about Gary. So that minute got him like years later, more, you know, buzz. And, you know, we've been talking about John Goodman more than a little bit in this episode. And again, these guys are two brilliant markers. So the fact that they do this stuff, this is the sort of thing that can happen. So if you're there listening to this and going, oh, you know, uh, I don't know. It's like, you don't know when someone's going to turn around and tell a story about you. And all of a sudden, maybe that is a new engaged follower, the person who's hearing that story. And sometimes it's one engaged follower that can really blow up your media because you get a big account following you. And sharing, like, I, I, a couple times, I've woke up one morning, I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? I have 100 new followers, like, in the last hour, what the hell? And sure enough, Jordan Syed or Mike Israel, they're the two who really did this. They just put whatever I had posted up on their, their story or their wall, and all of a sudden, here's this massive influx of followers. Um, anyone who follows Brett Contreras would see, he recently put one of his clients, who's a trainer, up, and he made a post about, you know, like, I, I can't remember the exact thing about it, but like a lot of the fake influencer type stuff and then size of following. And then he tagged this girl out of this example of what to do right. And he even said, you know, she had like 5,700 followers. Anyway, but I mean, but within a day or whatever, her following, I think, had almost or more than tripled. She was up over 14 or 15,000 just for the power. And he's got a million followers, right? So, and, and that sort of stuff doesn't happen very often. but you know, if you're engaged with and you have like big accounts following you because you have a personal relationship with them or you have, you're just putting out such good stuff that someone's like, fuck, that's great. I'm going to go share that. You know, that's actually one of the most efficient ways to get audiences to grow. Now, don't go asking for people to share your shit for fuck's sake like that. Don't do that. you got to earn it. you got to earn it through the relationship. And like, I will share stuff on my social media. Um, and I get some of my friends will ask me questions about various things, the quality of it. But if I see something I really like, A, I'll send them a message saying, this is really good. Do more of this. I like this a lot. Or I, I mentioned this recently, my buddy Kieran Marcellus and how he like has a pretty clean Twitter post image. He just has a sword through it because the little fucker actually has a, a real sword. It's dull because he brings it to the gym. Apparently, I've heard that there have been like some people who are like not so sure about some kid wandering around using a sword as a dowel. But, you know, he used a really clean image. And I talked about this recently where... I'm seeing a lot of people try to differentiate their those Twitter images, and I do a lot of them, but they're cluttering it up with a lot of extra stuff, and it just makes it really busy. And one thing, like, don't use emojis in these things, or like more than like one. Oh, it looks awful. Like, or, or you got to do it really, really carefully. Carter Good does it really well because they're really clean, but like just shit tons of emojis in those kind of posts. No, they look terrible. Yeah, yeah, and it's all experimenting. Like I. I was the kind of person, again, when I first started, I was like, this feed needs to be beautiful and curated fucking perfectly and all the images need to be nice. And I was like, I started realizing like, the more I just post pictures of me 
even if I put a very, very, I could spend two hours on, on a caption because I deeply care about it that much. But I'm like, if it's just a photo of me, people, they're going to scroll right past it. They'll never read it. And that's the beauty of having, I think, I want to say maybe Gary was the one who started like just screenshotting a tweet and posting it on your Instagram. And it's, you know, have that white space around it. So people were zoned in on the words, capture them with the words in, in the image, and then they'll go ahead and read the caption. You have to give them a reason to read the caption. And I was always just focused on the quality of the photo. And then I realized, like, I started to experiment with different text, different size fonts, this and that. And you see what catches on. Sometimes, like, you could put all the time into a post and it, it might just crash. It might be shitty. For me, I made that silly post a couple of days ago about um, the cryotherapy and the spending all this money on shit, but you won't track your macros or whatever. And for me, for, for my, um, my page, that blew up. Like, I ended up getting... I want to actually look real quick because sure. I don't, I don't concern myself too much with the numbers, but at the end of the day, we, we like numbers tell us that we're reaching people. So, actually, I did one, I mentioned LeBron James and cryotherapy. It was like Michael Phelps and his cupping one. And that one got shared really wildly. Here's another thing too, for anyone listening, don't get too stressed out if one of your posts doesn't get shared much relative to some of the other ones, because the fact that it didn't get seen by as many eyes means that a lot of people didn't see it. So if it sucked, very, very few people saw that it's like, and no one knows your metrics. So if it didn't do well, you know, it's a spotlight effect where we think our every thought is on display for the entire world to feel and know, right? That's not how it works. Everybody's really just concerned with themselves. They're very, very caught up in their own shit. So they're not worried about what you're thinking. So no, they don't notice some post of yours that didn't do well. So just keep putting stuff up all the time. Be consistent. Consistency trumps all. And then you'll learn about what works and, and make sure your quality improves as time goes on. But that's kind of been an embedded message. This whole episode is like quality matters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm just looking on, on the post. It was like last week or early this week. So it got, which for me, again, very, very good. It got 1900 likes, which I never get that many on anything. But what was more important to me was I looked at the insights and 575 people saved it that's and enough. 1,427 either sent it to someone or put it on their story. Which so, I bet meant that you gained followers off that post. Oh, if that post, it shows 300 followers See, from that. Same, right? But then it's like, you know, then you can easily beat yourself up because my next post got 268 likes. And wow. that was up for a week now. And, you know, it's, it's like, that's why you can't, you can't get so caught up in those numbers. Um, another thing that I tell people is, well, actually, I want to come back to like sure. talking about, um, the importance of the importance of sharing other people's stuff and, and wanting other people to win. And I think people are scared to, to see other people win. It's, it's almost like just because someone else is doing well, doesn't mean that they're taking anything away from you. For me personally, one of my favorite things is to see people work hard and then become successful from it. And then I want to support other people and help them grow. And I think people forget that there's enough out there for all of us to win. And Let's use like, if someone got a promotion, doesn't mean that you can't have a great job as well. If someone lost 50 pounds, they worked hard for it. Doesn't mean that you can't lose 50 pounds as well. So when, when people are starting to hate on the success of others or compare their success to theirs, it kind of highlights their own personal failings. Like they're just not putting in that work or they you know, aren't working hard enough or they're worried too much about someone else. And jealousy is something we pretty much all experience, but we shouldn't turn it into like enemy malvolence or resentment. It's just like, let other people succeed. 
and, and, and then help other people succeed, bring them up. If you see great content, like when you shared my stuff, you and I have never talked before. And, and look where we are now. We're on a podcast only because you shared something of mine you thought was valuable. Uh, following that, you posted something, I shared it. I asked my followers to follow you for great content. And here we are an hour into a great podcast. So it just goes to show like, just put your shit out there and don't worry so much about, you know, how many people saw it or how many shares it get. Like just keep consistent with it. Yeah. And I'm not going to steal a client from you and you're not going to steal a client from me. I've loved this episode. And I think anyone listening is probably going to go, man, this is fucking super informative. This is helpful. Cause I went back and I, I listened to a couple of episodes of stuff because I, I really needed to get some, some of your stuff very forefront in my mind. And I needed to get kind of back to the origin story, which we didn't tell, but you can find Maddie's origin story on other podcasts. It's easy enough. And I'm enjoying this conversation even more than any of the stuff that I've heard talking about on these other ones. I wouldn't, was, I was listening to your old episode with Jeff Nippard and uh, God, I feel terrible because I know Jeff's great and I can't remember if it's the old girlfriend or the new girl. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that was on his ice cream for PR. So that yep. was, yeah, that was with Robin like right. years and years and years That's ago. That's a long time ago, right? That's when I dug up and I realized I actually heard that one years ago because I used to listen to that, but then I went back into it. So it was cool to, you know, kind of get you that much further into your, into your journey through all this stuff. One of the things I wanted to ask, make sure I got, cause it's, it's sort of similar to what we're talking about is the thought about the pressure to be on all these platforms. Cause we've talked about YouTube, we talked about uh, social media and we've talked about podcasting a lot. And for me, I made a conscious decision not to pursue YouTube because it'd just be one more thing. The podcasting, I love it. Uh, for me, weekly consistency is something I really enjoy doing. I get a lot of value out of it. So for me, it's an automatic. And then Instagram, I've made daily posts for quite a while now, usually maybe two a day, because I actually find it a really fun vehicle to kind of get my thoughts out. So I want to come back second to where your ideas come from after doing this this long. But first, your thoughts on you know, what's too much, what people should be trying to do versus what they should be careful about committing to in different social media platforms and other content vehicles. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's a great question uh, because some people will give the answer is just, just be everywhere, right? Cause you never know where people are looking. It's like, be on YouTube, be on podcasts, be on Facebook, be on Instagram. Um, other people will tell you to just master one, stay with one and be consistent, build your audience there. And when you grow big enough, you can go ahead and direct them in other places. Uh, I think, again, bring back Gary. He said it perfectly. The best thing you could do is repurpose content because what gets seen on Instagram might never get seen from people on Facebook who don't have Instagram and vice versa. Like I noticed there are people who are like hardcore Facebook people and they don't give a shit about Instagram and Facebook is extremely valuable. Like Instagram is one of those, like you can just mindlessly scroll, 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 scroll. Maybe you'll double tap something. But on Facebook, the, the way you share content on Facebook to me is so much more valuable than the way you could do it on Instagram. Um, so if, if someone was just getting started and they want to start posting content, <laughs> truthfully, I would actually agree with what Jordan said on the podcast with you, like start writing. Start writing because by writing a long form article, that alone will generate so many different ideas for stuff that you can then chunk down to share on your Instagram or on your Facebook. So if you're writing an article all about uh, calories in, calories out, or what are macronutrients, that's going to be a long article. Just from that alone, you can probably get 15 pieces of content because you can make one piece on carbohydrates. You can make one piece on 
healthy fats or omega-3s or like you could break it down so far. But once you write that long article, there's so many ways to redistribute it. Um, and a lot of, here's another tip for people. Like <laughs> I, I was kind of against this for so long for whatever reason, but use it like you're allowed to post the same thing twice. Like you can go back on your Instagram feed and post something from a year ago because first of all, how the fuck do you know if people even saw it? They probably didn't. You have new followers in that space. Of yes. New followers. You don't know if they even saw it. And if they did, good. That means that they're still following you from a year ago or two years ago or five years ago, however long ago it was. So you don't always have to beat yourself up if you can't think of something new. Go back and look at some of the content that you put a lot of time into, maybe didn't do so well, and either repost it or find a way to repost it just in a different format. Like I said, I post a beautiful picture of myself that my friend edited and it's got a nice long caption and it did shit. I could take that caption, post it as text in the actual image and it might do twice as good or 10 times as good. That was actually something I was going to mention and I've only seen a couple of people doing this. You do it, Carter Good does it. He's the first person I saw it. It's taking a picture of yourselves and within it, there's a smaller square with that Twitter caption. And so those look great. I was sort of curious as to how well those do. They don't do as well as just the plain tweet by itself. I had a funny feeling. I did. I, I had a feeling about that. This is just my, I'm just speculating here and I, I could be completely wrong, but I think when it comes to sharing content, people, I could be way off on this, but maybe people don't want to share an image of someone else. Right. Because maybe they think it's awkward or maybe they, Maybe they don't actually, <laughs> it sounds harsh. Maybe they don't fucking like the person, but they love the person's content. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if there's the little tweet box with the, with the great content and then there's a picture of them right next to it, that might stop them from wanting to send it to someone else or wanting to share it with someone else. So uh, the ones like that, they, I feel like they just don't do as well as just the plain text box, um, but I'm always experimenting. And they're more work. Well, and I think that's an important thing is to experiment, right? I think people, I mentioned this one too, we were talking with uh, John Goodman about it, where John uses the notes thing. I love that. So funny enough, like John does them well because he knows how to space things. But I actually find, I don't like that format. I've actually said that I find it kind of ugly. But I know people are doing it because they want to do something different than the, the Twitter ones because they're ubiquitous. Here's the important point. The Twitter ones still do fucking super well. It's kind of like the infographic when that blew up. And, you know, again, we mentioned Jordan and Sohi Lee and Carter Good. They all jumped on that Spencer Dulski and they blew those up in a very big way. And there's a whole bunch of other people that did it really well. Jason Maxwell, uh, he also did a lot of this stuff. And you gain monster followings by doing that if you jumped on them. But people are still making infographics today. Yeah, there's a lot more of that stuff out there, but they're still shareable. They're still engaging. People are still liking them. They may not be the following growth vehicle that they were when they first kind of were going for for several months but i don't see that these twitter images going away anytime soon right uh, you have to be consistent with it gain some traction with it but I, I think the thing that i'm noticing with mine and i bet you find this too is people know and come to expect witty thoughtful well put ideas so then they come back for it uh do you follow neil strauss you know who Neil Strauss is? No, no. Go check out Neil Strauss. He's got a big following and he puts a lot of really intelligent, thoughtful, philosophical points. There's, he's got a monstrous following and he does that Twitter thing. That's all that's on his feed. It's not even anything else. But people are always coming back because it's like, all right, let's see what he's going to say today. It's like, 
go into your daily stoic book for a stoic quote you know you become that person okay i want to see what andrew is putting up on social media today like if anybody who has actually thought that like hey i want to see what the fuck kind of interesting shit he's going to say next again message me i want to hear this shit. i've said this a lot this episode but you know, if any of these points actually resonate with you, I want to hear from you because it's an opportunity for me to engage. If you're a listener, you've never talked to me before, fuck it, shoot me a message. I actually want to say hi. I want to you know, thank you for, for always listening. So I think those Twitter images are going to continue to be really popular. And I don't think they're ever really going to go out of style. Meanwhile, people will try new things. Uh, I mean, they're already sharing TikTok into Instagram. So, you know, why wouldn't sharing Twitter in, in, into Instagram work? It actually works really fucking well. Yeah, it does. And going back to what you said about uh, John using the notes section. So I, I agree. It, it's ugly looking, but I love the idea that he personalized it with the, the headline that says like notes from John or something yes. like that. That's, that very is, that's very smart. I think the reason why the Twitter screenshots work so well is one, because you are limited on characters on Twitter. So you're getting your point across very succinctly, which is super important. Um, when you start trying to mess with that and you start to use notes or, or something like Canva because it allows you to write more text, then you run into the issue of, okay, maybe you're writing a little bit too much. Like if you couldn't get the point across in whatever 240 characters and you need more screen real estate to do so, I mean, it probably won't do as well because people don't want to, if they want to read the longer form gap capture their attention with a few words and let them read the caption. Don't try and put the caption into the Instagram post. I've done that before. I've made that mistake. Another thing is like we were talking about the podcast. It's a very raw format. People like to hear fuck ups and mistakes. If you make every single post beautiful, like people might actually think it's an ad when you start messing with different fonts and now you're italicizing and bolding stuff. It just comes off as maybe they try too hard or maybe they're selling something like the tweet is just, it's super genuine. Your name and your handle is right there. People know it came from you. It wasn't uh, copy and paste it from someone. It's just, yeah, I just think it's genuine. And There's something I've said before and I, and I really believe this too. It goes to the, the hero's journey format for movies that are successful or stories that are successful or the way that we like and enjoy music. Humans like familiarity. So there are certain styles and things that are highly familiar and that Twitter post is very familiar. So you differentiate with well, your little picture and you differentiate with your ideas. And that's how songs get popular. That's why certain movies or certain types of stories blow up because there's a familiar pattern that the whatever new creative ideas are all wrapped up in. If you create something that's just too different from the usual, some sort of song format that's like eight minutes long that you know has doesn't have you know chorus verse chorus verse the classic sort of style then that's never going to get played on popular radio right it's not going to blow up maybe like really crazy jazz stuff for jazz affectionados but that stuff never goes mainstream so if you are looking for maximizing eyes on you choosing a really familiar format instead of always trying to be like okay i gotta create something different because well here's the other problem with creating something different if it's different and it works then other people are going to just start copying it and then it won't be different for very long anyway. So I think you're pretty safe with that. Yep, yeah. And you're, <laughs> you're just making more work for yourself. Like I love the design side of things. Like I actually co-own me and my buddy own a media company. So we create media for people. We do the whole video and photo thing. So I can get caught up spending hours trying to make a, just a simple Instagram picture look cool by, like you said, maybe 
maybe the picture itself was very busy in the background. So now you're trying to cut yourself out and blur the background so you could put text over it. And it just comes to be like too much work. And then when you realize after all that work, you post it and it doesn't do well, you kick yourself in the ass. You're like, I spent all this hours and all this time doing this and it just completely bombed. And then I go ahead and screenshot a tweet and it blows up. And it's like, eh, sometimes simple is better, you know? But those yeah, I actually- I said, those don't take very long. And I agree with you what you said about editing. I edit my long form writing mercilessly, but I also edit my tweets mercilessly. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it is being forced to you know, keep it within that character limit that cuts out extra like fluffy, weak language. And I think a lot of the ones that are most shareable were the product of me having them mercilessly edit down the words into something that was very, very sharp and digestible. I agree. Sometimes I actually miss the smaller character limit on Twitter. It was 140 and it, it literally forced you to like make sure that what you're writing is like edit that shit down and get rid of all the filler words that we throw in there and just get your point across as succinctly as possible. Um, I do want I want to really quickly circle back because I think this is just very valuable. And we were talking about where should people start as far as posting content. The one issue with Instagram, again, Instagram's great. I, I recommend posting on there, but the thing is you cannot search for shit. You can search for a hashtag, but when you really want to find something, uh, it's much easier when you're, when you're dealing with Facebook or, or Google who owns YouTube or finding like a website article. So if you type in, you can't just type in Instagram, uh, how to get to 10% body fat. You're not going to find anything, right? It's just, it's just keywords or hashtag searching. One of the things that frustrates me is there are so many, uh, a lot of friends of mine who, who have massive followings, kind of like, kind of like your buddy who, uh, the strength therapist was, that was it. Um, yeah, and Spinelli, exactly. Yeah, so, so much great content, but it's like, if he made a post uh, a couple of months ago and I forgot to save it maybe, and it, I'm looking for a hip stretch, I need to scroll through all that shit. And they do a great job now at putting like big text so you know exactly what it is. But if you don't save it, you can't just search for it. And I always like, I always make sure to encourage my friends who have these big accounts to like, I really hope that you're taking all of this content that you're posting and, and doing something else with it. Like someone who has a thousand amazing videos on, on stretching, on physiotherapy and all that on Instagram, I'm like, please tell me you have a YouTube to where I could just search in something and you have playlists broken down for this muscle group and this muscle group because it's just so valuable that way. So again, the problem with Instagram is, yeah, you can't just type in what you want to look for. And using Sam as an example, we did talk about this in that episode, which I just dropped, right? Like as of the time of recording this, he actually has the, uh, the YouTube channels. He has his own and he has E3 Rehab and he has Citizen Athletics, which are the two different businesses he's also involved in. So yeah, so all the stuff you're seeing on social media, that stuff is in YouTube form. And so he's pretty smart and savvy with this stuff. He's put a lot of work into it over the years. It didn't happen overnight for him either. Now, this is, I feel like this is the episode. It wasn't what I originally planned, but it was the episode where if anybody's trying to, to develop any aspect of their social media or media, long form media, this is a great resource. So I'm looking forward to see, hearing the feedback on this one. Um, before I drop off here and obviously we got to make sure we let everybody know how to find you on everything. Any other thoughts that are burning a hole in your brain that you wanted to follow up with what we talked about? 
a lot of shit, man. <laughs> I think you burnt the hole in my brain talking. I'm like, I have my wheels turning now about like. Bring you back for sure. I fuck me. Do I ever have a long, long <laughs> people I got to get on or back on? But I was really grateful to get you here today. Um, but yeah, like if, if there'll be more stuff to talk about, but if anything is really pressing, throw it out. I have the time. I mean, right now, I, my wheels are turning about the whole podcast thing. I, I've always said too, like, I. One of the things that I think about it, I love the idea of, of interviewing and having conversations with other people in the space or even not in the space that I feel like bring on a ton of value. Um, I wanted to ask you a question and maybe this would be um, helpful for your audience. I don't, I don't know the, the details behind why you and your co-host kind of. You froze. But how would you say, um, what was that? I said, you just froze on me for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I'm curious to know like, because I don't know what, what had happened with you and your older co-host. Oh, dude. So we kept it a secret for a while. Everybody's asking like, hey, you know, what's wrong? Are you guys fighting? Fuck no. Um, his, his wife is having a baby. <laughs> so, and he, he just, he told me we had to keep it quiet for a while. And so we just, you okay. know, people kind of think whatever. And I, uh, at episode 150, uh, we, I spun it off, renamed it, and it's been a lot of fun. So, there's a few advantages and disadvantages. One, Dean That's is exactly great what I was going to ask. Okay. Yeah, Dean is great for taking conversation off into interesting places, and I will tease him. I, I don't actually think he's got the time to even listen to these anymore. But he also has a. I like to tease him about it on air. He'll ramble incoherently, and he'll say something or whatever, and I'm just like, I, that makes no fucking sense. I have no clue what you're just talking about. His, his brain works on a different wavelength. But uh, intelligent guy, really, really, really cool to have, to you know spend the time with. It is easier to do it solo now. I found the first trip was, thank God, Sohi and Mike Isitel are great because like I was just like not as sharp as I've gotten with the later ones uh, with just interacting and not having like Dean there to kind of jump in with something. But it forces you to be good at this sort of thing. So one, it's, it's a lot easier to coordinate schedule between a guest and yourself versus having a co-host. Two, Quite frankly, let's let's talk about personal ego here. You get more airtime versus fighting over it. I'm actually appearing on a podcast tonight as a guest, and uh, there are three hosts. So I'm so that was sort of tricky to even find the, the the schedule between four people. So I'm looking forward to it. And I think it'll be great. But I'm also interested in seeing just how much you know I'll be able to you know draw out or hear things from each of the hosts and how much like you know it's going to be my airtime. So and and that to me doesn't really matter very much. So I hope that kind of answers that question. Yeah, it, it's something that I've just been thinking about for a while. Like I, I would love the solo episodes if I wanted to go maybe a little bit shorter, maybe like you said, the 15 to 30 minutes, just talking about shit that's on my mind or something that I feel like I don't need someone else in there. But I also, I, I'm a much better communicator or my ideas start flowing when I can have that open communication with someone else like we're having right now. So I start to think if I was to start my own podcast, would I, would I actually want a co-host or would I just want maybe that go-to guy that just to bring in for conversational purposes? There, there has to be, you know, a reason to have a co-host. So me, my personal feelings on it right now is no, you know, no co-host. If you have two people who really complement each other well and improve the quality of the dialogue and Dean and I function that way for a very long time, then I think it's worth it. Um, you know, I had a request from a pal of mine in the industry who's like, hey, you know, I, I've actually had a couple of people reach out sort of 
poking at the possibility of, well, you know, do you want to co-host? And I'm like, no, thanks guys. I'm, you know, I don't want to go back to try to coordinate my schedule with another person. And I actually decided that before the, the podcast was a very separate entity, just you, here's an important factor, just you, it becomes part of your brand. With a co-host, it's a little different. So unless you and your co-host are part of the same brand vehicle, like for example, uh, Jordan Sight and Mike Vacanti, they have one together. Jordan has a solo one as well, his mini podcast. And the one they do together is because it's a business podcast that feeds into their business mentorship that they are partners in, right? So that one works. Otherwise, I now look at it going, I would never have started if, if not for having Dean help me. And then he taught me how to do all the tech stuff because I was useless at that. So it's got me where I am with this. But now it's something that I tie into my social media a lot more. Um, and I've been actually having a ton of fun with it. So I would never consider a co-host. And if it gets you started and the, the co-host also has a following to bring more listeners in, and it's a very smart, engaging person who complements some sort of thing that maybe you as a host, and I'm speaking to everybody, um, might feel like you're lacking, and Dean and I did that really, really well together, then it could actually be very valuable. But I think in the long run, I think it might be easier to do and more fulfilling if you're solo. Now, if the other person keeps you consistent and accountable where you struggle with that, I don't. But if they do, then there's value in that. Like Dean wouldn't have been consistent, he knows it. He actually has a side podcast that he spun off a long time ago and with uh, Jeb Stuart Johnston, a good friend of ours. He's also a New York, uh, big Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, really, really smart, thoughtful person. But they don't make it a weekly podcast. And they bring on a couple guests and they'll, they'll jam with uh, you know, a lot of their you know, strength coach buddies on whatever topic they're interested in. It's kind of irreverent stuff. But yeah, they don't do it as a weekly commitment because they're not willing to make that. So yeah, so the co-host keeps you accountable where otherwise you wouldn't be, there's value there too. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I'd be in the, it'd be opposite for me. I'd be trying to keep reaching out to the co-host like, all right, we got to record. We got to record. So I really believe it would be easier. And, uh, and hopefully this conversation, anyone listening who's interested in this sort of thing, it, it's valuable to them. And Maddie, what we can do is we can chat a little more um, off air once we clue it up. So in fact, let's do that. So for everyone listening, uh, I appreciate you sticking around for this episode uh, I've said this before, like a lot of this stuff, like I love these conversations because now I know so much more about Maddie. You know, this is something where I know I'll be chatting with you and interacting a whole lot more uh, than we had even previously. But for everybody else, I want you to go find uh, Maddie's uh, Instagram at the very least. But where do you want people to go and, and check out your work? Yeah, I would say Instagram for now. Cool. I, I'm just, I'm most active on there. It, it's easier for me to kind of uh, stay on top of the DMs and make sure that if someone wants to reach out and say, Let's say they, they found me through this episode and they want to say they enjoyed the episode. I want to be able to personally thank them. So that's, a, that's an easy way for them to follow me. Other than that, I'm on, it's Maddie Fizarro on, on Facebook, on YouTube, on uh, FizarroFitness.com is the website, but mostly Instagram's where I'm hanging out right now. That becomes a portal to everything else anyway. Yeah. And, and counter to that, if you happen to be someone who has been a longtime follower of Maddie's and you're actually hearing me for the first time, and if you like this podcast, well, I'll, I'll give you two things. One is if you like this I've talked, mentioned several times some of the other episodes that we've had. Maybe, you know, you like Jordan Syatt, go back and check that one out. It's recent. And then if you like it, you think it's valuable, then hopefully I've earned the subscribe to where you'd want to continue on into the future and listen to more of my work. Because I take great pride in creating a, you know, a unique experience versus asking all those same pedantic questions that, you know, every guest has heard before on every podcast they've ever done. 
And then uh, anyone who's not following me yet on social media, that's something I'm putting a lot of effort into. I've been having fun with it. So it's Andrew Coates Fitness on Instagram. And then other than that, you know, if you're a longtime listener and you haven't yet given me a review, five star would be great, better than one star. So I'd love a review. It doesn't take very long and it's so easy to forget and just not do, but it actually goes a long way. And then, you know, I'd love it if you shared this with, I mean, this is free. I'm not making any money off it. If you could share this podcast with just one you know, fitness professional friend of yours or enthusiast that you really think would like it, that could go a long way too to grow my listenership and reach and help more people. So thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And then Maddie and I are going to chat a little more off air. So uh, I'll have, if I'm not mistaken, I have Jordan Shallow, Dr. Jordan Shallow for you guys next week. And then it's Lee Boyce after that. I believe it's in that order. They're both booked. So stay tuned. <laughs>